2: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We have mass dysthymia, mass depression, and mass addiction, and a pandemic of suicide. So our challenge and opportunity is to have a mass awakening because depression is a knock at the door for spiritual emergence. What's so remarkable Mm. is that whether I am Muslim, Jewish, Christian, Hindu, spiritual but not religious, nature is my cathedral. It is the same neurocircuit that is engaged. So there is one spiritual brain and we all have it. If I have a strong personal connection to the transcendent and its presence in my love for others, I'm 80% decreased risk for addiction, 82% less likely to take my life during this pandemic of suicide. Number one killer of high school students in the United States is suicide. I kind of want to end the podcast there. Just
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrish Sandu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired, keep evolving. Lisa Miller on this week's episode of the Inspired Evolution goes all the way in on the science of our brain and what spirituality looks like when it's in our brain. Now, that comes from decades of research, MRIs, scans, all this sort of stuff to actually look at and map spirituality in the human brain. This was a completely fascinating conversation and if I can say so, it was probably one of the most important conversations I have ever had. The question that has driven Lisa to bring her to these insights is does spirituality and faith agnostic of whatever religion and faith you have, does it actually inoculate us against depression, against mental health? And we all know depression and anxiety are incredibly well linked, incredibly closely linked. So if you're struggling with depression and anxiety Does spirituality, does faith actually have an answer for you? Now, this is an incredibly potent conversation because I know that when we start talking about spirituality and faith, we start to section things off, whether you're Islamic, whether you're Christian, whether you're Sikh, whether you're Hindu, whether you're Buddhist. But actually, this conversation is completely grounded in science. It's agnostic of whatever faith you choose, but it actually speaks deeply, fundamentally to faith and spirituality and the benefits it can have for you in your life. This is an incredibly important conversation. If you've ever wondered where spirituality... If you've ever wondered what spirituality looks like in your brain or what the benefits really are from a really grounded perspective... This is going to be one of the most inspiring conversations for your spirituality you have ever heard. And before we dive in super deep to today's incredible conversation, I do have a humble request of you tuning in. If you could, please do me the absolute honor and gift of subscribing to the Inspired Evolution, hitting that bell notification, and liking this video if you truly like it. I'm not asking you to do something you don't love. But what we found is that 94% of you are regularly watching this channel. However, you're not subscribed to the channel. Now, hand on heart, the honest truth is is the reason why I ask you to subscribe is because when I'm reaching out to guests to try and bring them onto the show, the number one thing they're looking at is how big is this platform that Amrit has created around the Inspired Evolution? And fundamentally, it is your platform these are the conversations that you guys are tuning into it makes it easier for me smoother for me to be able to bring on more inspiring conversations for both of our evolutions you and i together if you can hit subscribe now i take i know it takes a moment of your time and i know that you know hitting subscribe is not something that is i And I I hope you know that you hitting subscribe is not something I take lightly. I invest a lot of time, energy, and love, not just myself, but also the team here at the Inspired Evolution, Selena in the editing, Monique doing all the bookings for us, to make sure that this experience is truly one that is incredibly rich for you. If you don't mind doing me an absolute honor and a favor, please hit subscribe. Without further ado, this week's episode. Welcome back to the Inspired Evolution, and we have with us today Dr. Lisa Miller. Lisa, how are you there?
2: Hello. I'm so honored and excited. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you for including me, Amra. Oh my
0: God, including you, dude. The blessing is absolutely ours. I was saying this to you before, I am a little giddy to have you here. I am so excited to have you here. And for those that are tuning in to Lisa for the first time, let me do the honours. I'll just give her bio, quickly introduce her to you so you can probably start to understand a little bit around why. So, Lisa is the author of two books, one of them being The Awakened Brain, which we're hopefully going to get to discuss a lot about today. Um, The headline for the book actually entails the idea that it's designed for our quest for an inspired life. So, obviously, being the inspired evolution there are some real uh (laughs) touch points that are synchronous in this space so i think that's going to be really poetic to dive into that she is a professor at columbia university who graduated from yale she's a researcher clinical psychologist and she's best known for her research as a scholar on spirituality in psychology lisa thank you so much for being here with us today
2: i'm thrilled i can't wait to jump in
0: (laughs) So, I'm going to start straight out of the gate, because there is so much ground we could potentially cover in this space around spirituality, psychology, and science. There is so much work in your life that you've dedicated to in this space, and we hopefully will discuss what it's been like, the journey of being invested in this space for so long. But straight out of the gate, does spirituality inoculate us against depression? Now, I definitely want to ask you that question. But before I even go there, how does one come to such a question, (laughs) right? Like that doesn't seem to be the most intuitive question for a lot of people. Um, Once you start reading into your research, it becomes very apparent. But where did you come to this idea that spirituality may actually inoculate us against depression? Where does that come from?
2: So, you know, Emrit, I started out at a time when people didn't even talk about spirituality when they spoke Mm. about psychology or psychotherapy. I was working on an inpatient unit with people who were really suffering. I mean, it was the worst moment of their life, the worst two days, the worst week of their life. And I could see that really well-intentioned, very kind psychotherapists, you know, trained in the models of the day, were just really not making inroads with these folks. And I knew that because two weeks later, they'd be back, or two months later, they'd be back. And the same patients who... I would see in July, I'd see again in September and December, and we weren't making headway. And so it occurred to me that there was a breakthrough to be had, really? that you know, there must be. And so I listened to the patients, and what the patients started telling me was what they needed, which was of a very deep spiritual nature. And they would say things like, you know, Dr. Miller, could you come here? And it was always done in this hushed little tone, And it was so hushed that I thought, wow, they don't feel that they can talk about this here. They Mm -hmm. feel that what we're talking about is somehow forbidden, verboten. So, you know, the patients would walk me down the hall, into the kitchen door, back into the pantry, Mm -hmm. and there, by the pots and pans, they'd say, Dr. Miller, will you pray with me? So it's only safe to pray if we're standing by the pots and pans. And that said to me that the spiritual core was very much disintegrated from whole person treatment. And that patients were hungry for spiritual connection and and they'd ask me in many different ways every day, Dr. Miller, will you come here? And it was always behind a door or, you know, secretly whispered. And then I started to look at the people I loved and knew in my own life. And when they talked about spirituality, it was also kind of by the, you know, back of the ladies room or somewhere very quiet mm. and it was not in the boardroom and it was not in the classroom and it was not in what you're doing so beautifully here and now Anne. it was not in the center of the public square as you now are elevating the public mm. square so it really you know we have a society that until very very recently had completely disintegrated spirituality from the wholeness of our lives and it it was really The absence itself, I think, was making people despairing, was making them pained, and ultimately making them ill. These people are in
0: a really challenging situation because they've been sent to a center which has already declared them as fringe. Um, The invitation to listen to them, as you mentioned, it seems somewhat. Intuitive in this conversation, but I think given the context, would be kind of radical because they've already been fringed out. And they've been what, fringed out. And, what and made you want to listen? What, what, like, what's going on there? Why, like, what about Lisa when actually you're not just a kook? Let me listen to you. Like,
2: yeah. One of the first things I noticed, it's really right to your point, Amrit, is that in our darkest, most painful moment, we actually are truth speakers. That when there's no more artifice, and there's nothing to lose, and Mm. we have nothing but the purity of our heart to sustain us, the truth is all we have, then the truth finally comes out. And I I felt more warmth, I felt more authenticity on this inpatient unit than I had felt anywhere in my life. Mm. It was quite profound.
0: And this was the beginning of you starting to consider that people that are in these challenging mental health states, what's going on for them? Where Like they're struggling with depression and then they're seeking spirituality and so you started to draw threads between the two things and wanted
2: to explore this further in terms of how they're navigating it. And, you know, I – As a clinical scientist, you know, I was both a therapist and a scientist. I knew that the only way to bring any regard for spirituality into mainstream medicine was to use the lens of science. That basically um, the important forms of knowing that are very real, such as intuition, mystical awareness, Mm a hunch, a gut instinct, things that every one of us knows when you listen to your gut, Mm. You're always right, and the times I can speak for myself that I have not listened to my gut, or disavowed my intuition, it's been at a terrible cost, either for me or
0: something else. Things pear shaped. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I, right. There's right? a knowing smile about not listening to the knowing.
2: <laughs> it's the gut. Face. The gut, right? Right. If, if something just says turn right, turn right. You know, something mm. says turn left, even if we don't know, because that type of deep knowing intuition, I call it sort of the high pixel catch and the catcher's mitt, mm-hmm. that type of deep knowing is quite extraordinary because at the moment of the intuitive pull, the fine-grained details have yet to unfold before us as to why mm-hmm. it really is we should turn right. It is, if you will, information that we've yet to fully, of which we're fully, yet to be aware. And and that is a trust in all of our inborn forms of knowing, our innate epistemologies, we are born intuitives, we are born mystics, as much as we are born logicians and empiricists. Unfortunately, most of our schooling only looks at empiricism and logic, and it doesn't teach us to regard as guiding, as profoundly instructive, intuition, mystical awareness, transcendent connection. These forms of knowing that are always the bedrock, sure as sure can be, are completely absent from most K twelve education, and that's that is to the peril that leaves these deep forms that really are rudder in life. You know how we captain our ship, just leaves them without un- unmanned. Because
0: yeah. you mentioned this um, in your work that we've actually been educated out of yes. our awakened awareness. We've been educated out of our spiritual. Awareness. Can you elaborate what you mean by that? Yeah.
2: Well, so I'll tell you in the first person when I was a child, like every single child on earth, we are born innately spiritual beings. We know that through science, the lens of science, absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, just as we're physical and emotional and cognitive beings we are spiritual beings. We know that through Mm -hmm. twin studies. We know that through MRI studies. We know that through genotyping studies. So I was a spiritual child, just like everyone else. And I could, I listened to my deep intuition and I could see in my mind's eye, um, spiritual presence. And I I was like every child, a spiritual being. So I couldn't wait to get to kindergarten and Mm -hmm. talk about this, you know, talk about the symphony of life. And You know, the first day of school, I laid out my clothes. I was so excited. We're going to talk about the symphony. And I got there, Amrit, and not one word was spoken about the symphony, the sacred, magnificent, harmonic symphony. So I thought, well, maybe tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And then when it didn't come after a few weeks, I thought, well, it's so important. This now what I call the spiritual dimension is so Mm -hmm. important that it must be for older kids maybe it's in first grade or fourth right. grade you know and i was super patient and it was you know not in high school and it was not in college and it was as much as i loved my doctoral program it was not there either until one day you know i waited long enough that i could build a spiritual program and i started the spirituality mind body institute at columbia university which was a foundationally and is a foundationally spiritual education into who we really are
0: And the entire work at the institution is based upon, I want to say decades of research that you've done now into the nature of the brain specifically and finding spirituality within the brain.
2: Yes. And you know, for most of the 20th century, no one looked people would say, Oh, spirituality, that's not scientific. Science hasn't shown that. Well, there's two ways that science doesn't show something. The first Mm. is, When science looks and looks closely and in multiple ways and multiple attempts and just doesn't see it, that's a negative finding. The second way that science doesn't prove something is that it never looks. Mm. (laughs) And for most of the 20th century, science hadn't shown anything because scientists never looked. But we had a perfectly good lens and we can point that lens at anything, host of good questions, including the origin and impact of lived human spirituality on the rest of our lives. And when we finally did that, using the lens of MRI studies, genotyping studies, long-term clinical course studies, we pulled every lens we have. Mm. We got the same signal that was so bright, so (gasps) blaringly, blindingly awesome Mm
1: -hmm. that
2: it seemed to me that it was a redefinition of who we really are. So I'll give you a taste of this. If you look at any human capacity, whether it's, you know, our temperament or our cognitive style, you can determine the extent to which it's inborn or environmentally formed using a twin study. You look at twins raised together, twins raised apart, mm-hmm. and factor out commonalities as a function of genes. So temperament, if we're outgoing, introverted, front-footed, high-strung, that's half inborn and half environmentally formed. We can... So innate
0: nice versus environment, yeah.
2: exactly. Exactly. Well, our capacity through which we feel a deep connection, a relationship to the sacred, my word is God. Your good word could be universe, Jesus, Hashem, Allah, spirit,
1: mm-hmm. whatever
2: language is yours for the powerful loving force in us, through us, and around us, whatever your word is, our mm-hmm. capacity to perceive that transcendent relationship is inborn. It is one-third innate, two-thirds environmentally formed. Now, for some people, the two-thirds of the environment can include a faith tradition, whether they're Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, whatever whatever they may be. From their parents. From their parents or grandparents
0: Mm.
2: or community. Yeah. But the religion itself, the prayers, the sacred texts, the meditations, the understanding into our human being nature, and it's our nature in relation to the cosmos, that rich teaching is 100% environmentally transmitted. It is not inborn. It is a gift of our environment. Spirituality, the capacity to perceive into the Mm. deeper nature of life. Spirituality is not a belief. Through the eyes of clinical science, it is a capacity for perception, the capacity to perceive the deeper truth, the spiritual nature in and through us and around us. That is inborn. But two thirds environmentally formed means that we've got to practice. You can't just let it roll, you know, whether it's meditation or right action or service or what we, many ways in, but we've got to practice. And the second inborn capacity for spiritual perception, what I call our awakened awareness, is that just as we can see the deeper transcendent relationship in life, we can feel that sacred presence in our love for one another. Love of neighbor, radical, unconditional love of neighbor. And that means the homeless guy and that means the guy at work who isn't for me can i love him back still protect myself but love him anyway yeah it, it, radical love is everybody love without expecting love back that doesn't mean that i'm a doormat it means it's a stance of being that where we are a fountain of love
0: because there are these distinct parts of the spiritual experience that like you mentioned love thy neighbor um yeah, and I think we can understand that these are like some golden rules. But you mentioned you started seeing things in the mind or in the brain, sorry um mm-hmm. being literally like you started seeing signal um like stuff happening to your default word network um your attention network, can you describe, Yes. some of that like what's going on in the brain as we're because there's the outside world and almost like the moral spiritual code and again moral may be a triggering word but you know the sort of moral spiritual code that we're we're navigating um and then there's actually what's going on in the brain and you're sort of witnessing what's going on inside the brain can you describe a little bit around yeah. what the science has shown us
2: yes and i'm so glad you asked and i'll just mm. preface this by saying that what's so remarkable is that whether I am Muslim, Jewish, Christian, Hindu, <laughs> spiritual but not religious? Nature is my cathedral. Yeah. It is the same neurocircuit that is engaged. So there is one spiritual brain, and we all have it. I kind of want to end the podcast
0: there, just because <laughs> I, 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 I and, I, and I, I mean that in jest, but also in some part like mic drop moment because. Yeah that is that is profound the fact that despite your vehicle for religion or spirituality or methodology yes. your biology actually experiences spirituality in a unified manner in a one in one way sorry i completely interrupted the signature of the spirit, spiritual experience in the brain it is, is the my most question. important point
2: is Isn't it ridiculous? It's the important point. It's at, you, you're absolutely right. The most important finding from science in the awakened brain, and in my view, the most important finding from science, period, is there's one spiritual brain, and every one of us has it. Every single one of us. So the first thing that is so obsolete, it's just beyond words, is a religious war, because we actually have the profound same deep seat of spiritual awareness. It's crazy. Right. And... And it's very far downstream, you know, the catch and the catcher's is meant the deep perception of spirit,
1: Mm. that
2: is universal. And then how we cast it, what we call it, whether it's a dialogue or a deep sense of oneness, you know, that how we sort of fashion that Mm. relationally is downstream in our processing. But the deep connection is universal.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's meant to be unique to the individual right because we are all somewhat fragments of this spiritual whole and no two designed to be alike in some way right so it's all yes. whether we call it deep knowing or interwovenness or interconnectedness that is little it's, nuances is really the beauty of the tapestry right
2: yes and of course there's human you know net, just as there's human variability in music. You know, every Mm -hmm. one of us feels a deep rhythm and loves the feeling of the bass that we can dance to, sort of connect to the deep rhythm. But not everyone is a composer and not everybody plays music, but we're all Mm -hmm. musical beings. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Well, the same is true for spirituality, that, you know, the more we, you know, no two people are identical. Some people are more kinesthetic and some people it comes in more visually or they reason their way through it. So there's human variability in how we hold this. But the deep catch of the transcendent, the deep connection, that is universal. And that says to me, you know, people will, with tears in their eyes, raise their hand as I share this science, and they'll say, am I a spiritual being? And yes, you, you, beautiful you, given by the force of life in us, around us, you are a spiritual being, and you are gorgeously a spiritual being, 100%. Mm. Every single one of us. So that, that changes our sense of who we really are. And mm-hmm. it certainly changes, I think, an, a social sense of who we are to each other. I mean, we can take ourselves out of this sort of market-based view of who we are. You know, what do you do? What do you live? <laughs> What does your partner do? I, mean, mm. <laughs> it, it, I feel like I'm, I'm just on Amazon and they're negotiating yeah. the price.
0: What do you consume? How well do you consume it? How well do you produce to consume? Consume, consume. Yeah.
2: Yes, right. Um, which is really, I think, an overextension of capitalism as a human theory or capitalism as a relational theory. Mm. But from this point of view, we're all spiritual beings. So we can show up for each other. And, in fact, we are built to show up for one another, mm. with who are you? You are a soul on earth. You are like a ray from the source, the sun, an emanation of life itself. You are a child of God. Whatever your word is, mm. Mm. being you—that's you. So at dinner, instead of asking each other at the next dinner party, you know, what do you do and where do you mm. live? <laughs> you know, what was the most beautiful day you can remember from this whole year? Nice. You know, I asked that to someone at a dinner party recently. What was one of the most beautiful days of your life? I it of two people, a man and a woman, sitting next to me at dinner. Um, And the man loved it. And he said, wow. He said, you know, no one's ever asked me that. But I'd have to say, um, this gentleman was gay. He said, my partner and I were in Italy. And I'd become distant from my roots of Catholicism. But sitting in this beautiful cathedral, I felt God's presence. And there was a chorus. And I felt like I was home. Mm. That was an extraordinary. And then the woman said, you know, I guess my most beautiful day was when I was sailing on the water and the sun was shining and the wind was in my air. And what we weren't talking about was how much money do you have or how much status do you have or, you know, we were not measuring each other. We were, we were getting the, the gift of the deep morsels of being, of experience. Oh, That's this is, like divine stuff, the yeah. experience.
0: This is, um... I, I, we will circle back to how the brain lights up. And the oh, I'm so there. But this, sorry. I just right. it, but but one, of the, one of the points in here that's really important is in wow. those. Re- I love this question and at the same time I'm also recognizing how annoying this question may be for <laughs> some people because it's like what was the best day you have, you've had in the last year or in your life? And it's like you look back and it's. I started running a little bit of the exercise in my mind and none of them really were the days at work. Yeah, Mm. it was one of the simple, more like what my one was going for a walk along the along with my son and us looking at a bunch of wallabies in nature. And he can't say wallabies, so he was like, Wobbies, Wobbies. And I found Wobbies to just be the most cutest word. Ah. (laughs) So he was just like, Wobbies, Wobbies. And so I'm thinking back to this moment and I'm like, yeah, it wasn't really work oriented. And then how much of our life we design towards work and this now comes to a juncture that I did want to cross and I feel like we're here so I will come back to the the brain in a minute but, I promise um, I'm sorry but I think for those because I never came across this word until I came across your work which was dysthymia um can you describe what it feels like to have our soul sucked out <laughs>
2: Sorry. <laughs> I think that's, that's the best description I have ever heard, Amrit. You nailed it, soul sucked out of us, soul sucked. yes. Would,
0: what, can you describe yes. what dysthymia is for us? Yes. Yeah.
2: From a spiritual point of view, I'd say it, it is exactly that. It's a disconnection from the ultimate source of life. Yes. And what it looks like clinically, the term of course is a clinical term,
1: mm-hmm. is a
2: low grade depression. It's not a full out major depression. I mean, in major depression we can't get out of bed and you know, we're really you know, don't eat or we eat too much. I mean we're just, you know, blotto. And dysthymia, it's it's more of this low grade sort of drain. You know, you don't quite don't quite quit the job, it doesn't quite by any means fill me up. Um you don't really connect, I don't really connect with my partner, but I don't want to break up with him. It was just this sort of holding pattern of a glass exactly half empty and exactly half full, you know, and that, Mm. that sense of just sort of dissatisfaction, not quite enough. You know, actually, I think more fundamentally, these are moments when we can ask the question, hey, Am I feeling deeply connected to life's deepest purpose, as you put it so beautifully, Emma? Am I feeling deeply connected to my ultimate purpose on earth, as a soul on earth, not am I going to be a teacher, a lawyer, a banker, like mm-hmm. deep ultimate purpose on earth, whether that's to care, to guide, to love, to serve, mean, you know, that... And and I think that dysthymia is a condition that is all over post-industrial global culture. It is mm-hmm. all over the place. It can be, if you listen to that subtle sort of murmur, drowning murmur, an opportunity. Hey, if I'm feeling that I'm just kind of watching my life pass by, never so satisfied, but not so dissatisfied to pull the plug, I, I think... That actually, that recognition can be the start of a search, as you've shared so many times with your community, for a deeper purpose and life's deepest purpose. In my view, in terms of the awakened brain and our capacity to perceive, it is an invitation to dysthymia to open and search and quest for the deeper presence in life, to start to pay attention, whether through meditation, prayer, goodness to others, To what we now do see, as as you raised in the awakened brain, the capacity to see that we are actually never alone. We are all part of a deeper oneness. I tell my students at Columbia, you are a point and you are a wave. You are distinct Mm -hmm. and have a GPS coordinate, but you're also part of one unitive, white claps on one ocean, white caps on one ocean, part of a unitive field of life. So we're never alone. That's one thing we can say. Another thing that the awakened brain shows us is that even when we feel completely lost, we are capable of tapping into guidance, whether we say God is showing us the way or the universe is opening doors or the force. We shift in our brain from using a very narrow, top down dorsal attention network like a bowling alley. I gotta have it. I really want that job. I really want him, her them, I've got to have it, them, this to, hey, life opens up, the floodlights come on, and many people say a whole new direction pops. Mm. So we go from top-down dorsal to bottom-up ventral, and suddenly the world is alive again. So that in an awakened state, whether again through prayer or meditation, we know we are never alone, and we are guided. And the third dimension that we see in our MRI studies, it's again in every human being, this one spiritual brain, is that we are always loved and held. Just as children, we felt as a child, we may have felt loved and held in the arms of a parent or a grandparent. The bonding network comes up online and we are able to perceive that life itself is holding us. There's a buoyancy. And when we put these three circuits together which do travel together in an awakened state we know We perceive that we are loved and held, we are guided, and we are never alone. The capacity to perceive that you, right now, are loved, held, guided, and never alone is your birthright. We are built for this. And just as we can see that for ourselves, we can show up for one another to, as agents if you will instruments of life to be loving holding guiding and never leave anyone alone and those are both forms of relational spirituality one to source and one to one another you could say transcendence and immanence source in my love for you and direct love of source so we're built for this and we can choose to treat each other this way it's amazing when we do
0: I love the. Um, for those that are listening in, imagine I'm riding a train, and this is how Lisa's describing um, the human potential for spirituality. And as you're also describing dysthymia, I'm sitting on a train watching a whole bunch of people go to work.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And. The, like you said, it's an opportunity to pop open the the emptiness, the hunger, the disillusionment, the alienation, the isolation. Maybe not so much the darkness, but the futility. You know that quiet Mm. sort of suffering that is in this time, which is that, like you said, low-grade depression, um, which every like you can just I don't know. For uh, because I was on the train listening to exactly this chapter as I was, and it was just so present. Just the what we've adopted as the human condition in the 21st century um, as our baseline norm, and we've just accepted it. And there's just an acceptance to it at the moment. And I think I wholeheartedly acknowledge um, the point that somehow, some way in my story, and maybe it's not for in everybody's story, it was a necessary part. It was an in, like an integral ingredient for the inspired evolution being born. If it wasn't for all that pain and suffering, which was just enough to be under the radar, but also just enough to create enough friction for sparks to fly off. Um, you know, the, the transformation that is the inspired evolution for myself and hopefully for others tuning in or for all of those tuning in, <laughs> um, you know, is yeah, there, there is a real opportunity to come home to yourself through all the challenges that that brings into your life. you, Describing your own story, I think it was—is it second chapter where you discuss the empty kitchen in in Kippur? Is mm-hmm. that yeah? yeah? Is that the right metaphor? Can you describe a little bit around what was going on for you there in your story?
2: It was at the Kippur service on the inpatient yeah. unit. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, I'd love yeah. to hear that story. Yeah,
2: um, I was on an inpatient unit. I call it Unit Six because it was. Not six, so I'm trying to protect everybody who's there. <laughs> and, uh, as you know, it was any number but six. <laughs> yeah. I was on unit six, and I. It was, it was the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, which is mm. the day of atonement. It's a day where you ask forgiveness of God mm. for your errors and sins before you can do that, though, you have to go to all those who you've harmed and ask them for forgiveness. You have to clean it up with fellow human beings before you turn to God and ask for forgiveness. It's a, considered the holiest day of the year, and it really allows for the renewal of spirit and the, the, what Jews call being written in the book of life for the new year. You are cleansed of, of these um, wrongs. So it's a very important day. The inpatient unit had a number of people who were Jewish. And I, they said, will there be a Yom Kippur service? Can you tell us where it'll be? And the answer was, we're sorry. There's no Yom Kippur service. Everybody's going to be home with their family. And there was terrible, it it was like a, a, a heart sinking disappointment. You know, there was a woman who looked even more depressed. And there was a gentleman who was, um, when he got agitated, explosive and he, he got so frustrated, he got up and walked out of the meeting. It was just a, it was a real annihilation. No, there's no day of atonement. There's no holiest day of the year for you. Mm. Um, so I asked, <laughs> I was a new intern, and I'm not a rabbi, but I'd been to, you know, at that point, about two and a half decades of Yom Kippur services. So I asked, could I, not a rabbi, but could I, could I try to facilitate? Actually
0: facilitate one, yeah.
2: So I show up to Yom Kippur. And whereas normally everyone is dressed in gurneys that, you know, people are not medically ill. It's a psychiatric inpatient unit. And there's normally this sort of unpleasant kind of degrading wearing like hospital gurneys with your fanny showing. You know, why is you for that? <laughs> but today, I'm in Kipur, I walked in and everyone was there early. And they were dressed in the most beautiful clothes. Some of them had called home and had clothes brought for them. And there was a sense in the, Back kitchen under the fluorescent lights and the linoleum <laughs> table, nonetheless of tremendous specialness. It was yeah. a holy day yeah. because we had consecrated it. We'd said, Today is a holy day. And by each of the sides of the patient was the hospital aide. Um, none of the aides were Jewish, and they all treated this with such respect because they understood a sacred moment, they understood a spiritual day. It was a beautiful moment of shared universal spirituality. And as we started the prayers, very quickly I saw that the very same gentleman who would be explosive and chaotic, struggling with bipolar, was yeah. actually carrying us through the service, rhythmically singing the prayers, holding all of us in the rhythm of the prayers. He had been almost like he stepped into the holy river. He joined the flow of life. Yeah. And the woman who looked so ashamed and so self-deprecating was sitting up tall and singing the prayers and whatever appeared to be the greatest pain, whatever really their diagnosis stated to be as the greatest pain and way of being in the world. They were the exact opposite on the side mm. of health. equally an opposite. Whole. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. And it occurred to me, something's happening in a ceremony, a spiritual ceremony that is not happening in psychotherapy, that is not happening in treatment alone. So that mental health minus the spiritual heart would never again make sense to me. And the rest of my life became about trying to hold a mirror. That's what science says. It's simply witness, a mirror up to the extraordinary transformation, the exceptionally life-changing presence of spirituality in the human journey. And every study has been more jaw-dropping than the next. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just amazing, you know. So now we know, for instance, when we, whether, again, whether I'm Sikh, Hindu, Jewish, Muslim, spiritual, but not religious, whatever my religion may be,
1: Mm.
2: again, religion is 100% environmentally transmitted, but it can be profoundly impactful as the two-thirds embrace the environmental shaping of the innate spiritual core. Mm. So whatever my religion may be, if I have a strong personal connection to the transcendent and its presence in my love for others, transcendence and imminence, relational spirituality, I'm 80% at decreased risk for addiction. I am less likely to take my life during this pandemic of suicide. Number one killer of high school students in the United States is suicide. That's never been the case before. So, the diseases of despair that are riddling so much of post industrial global culture, I think, are actually the consequence of pulling the spiritual core out of the teen. The spiritual core alienation, yes, exactly. We have mass dyscymia, goodness, mass depression, and mass addiction, and a pandemic of suicide. And what the data says, as I read it, 80% decreased relative risk of addiction, 82% decreased relative risk of completed suicide. That says to me that we are looking at a spiritual crisis that having silenced spiritual life about 40 or 50 years ago in the public square, we have a generation now, you know, 40 years, 50 years is long enough for someone to grow up, have a child who's now 18, 20, 22. And for the first time, we have young people who've never young adults been exposed to meditation or prayer, Mm. who've never understood their purpose as ultimate purpose as a soul on earth, an emanation of life. So our challenge and opportunity in mass dysthymia is to have a mass awakening because mm. depression is a knock at the door for spiritual emergence. This is our mass knock at the door for our mass spiritual emergence. But we've got to say yes to it. We've got to do it.
0: Because this is going to be one of my questions for you today, which was when you early started out on this work, like, yeah, I've I've read your book, so for those that are tuning in, I highly recommend it it's to say your work was not <laughs> ma- not widely adopted is probably a polite way of saying it um early days and then now watching the amount of traction that you're getting in every single like you, it's it's been quite the journey you've been on and there's probably a whole decent question for me to ask in terms of how much because what you've alluded to is the role that spirituality then plays towards resilience when we're looking at addiction Mm -hmm. and suicide. Um, and How much of your spirituality was required for you to remain resilient in the face of all the naysayers of all the science is totally a question (laughs) worth asking. Um, But like like taking that question and then taking it further to the context of what you just mentioned, which was – the collective awake like is there a collective shift currently going on in your humble opinion then because of watching the nature of your work and how it's gone and yeah just a sign of the times like where do you feel we're currently at at the cusp like are we at the cusp of something what's what do you feel is currently the the temperature of the soup that is the collective sort of journey that we're all on yeah
2: so so exactly in the course of an individual's life just one person The times of despair, the times of depression are literally, we are hardwired that they are a knock at the door for an awakening. We are pulled to ask, what life are you showing me now? What is the deeper truth of who I am in this world? The existential quest is our nature so that we might realize this deeper connection to the spirit, the force, and through life. Well, this is how we're built, right? Collectively... I think our society has really silenced for, you know, much of the the second half of the 20th century silenced the spiritual voice to the point where it really has been an atrophied part of our human condition and we now suffer.
0: Do you we think suffer. it's intentional or do you think it's just by design, like by accidental design? Like is it- doesn't matter why it just has happened, or well, there's a curious there's a curiosity in me as to like why that's happening. I happened, think the yeah.
2: intention was probably very good, which was I think that 40 years ago we made a mistake, and the mistake was we were trying to be inclusive by th- throwing religion out of the public square. You know, instead of mm-hmm. saying one religion everyone has to be it or kind of you're secondary, we didn't want to marginalize anyone on religious terms, which was a very good intention, but we didn't become inclusive instead we became radically exclusive and excluded everybody Mm. from a deep spiritual connection. And what we really lost was pluralism. I mean, I wanna hear about Diwali and Ramadan and Christmas (laughs) and I wanna know you in the deepest way and understand the birth of your son as a miracle or the crossing of my ancestors, a continuity of spirit or consciousness. I wanna know us in the deepest way. That requires that we be spiritually conversant and that requires that we embrace with our universal spiritual heart the beautiful richness and diversity of pluralism, mm-hmm. spiritual inclusivity, whatever your language, whatever your way of knowing. But I get it because the catch and the catcher's mitt of the spiritual brain is universal. I get it.
0: Wow. Well, I'm going to circle us back to what happens in the brain. Um, yes. Yes. What happens in the brain? What is the signature of the spiritual experience inside the brain itself that you've picked up on through all your incredible years of research? Um, probably there's a lot. I know you've written many papers. But, <laughs> <So, laughs> um, yeah, maybe some of the, the most, uh, if you could summarise it, um, Okay, yeah.
2: the, the most important finding, the first one yeah. was clear, we're all spiritual beings. The yeah. second most important finding is that we have the same neuro docking station. Yep. Yeah. Whether I am Hindu, Jewish, Muslim, spiritual, but not religious. But then I think of relevance to us now, you know, for having starved ourselves. And mm-hmm. remember, yes, we are innately spiritual beings, one third innate, two thirds mm-hmm. the embrace, the cultivation, prayer, meditation, sacred texts right action. Well, for silencing the spiritual life in the public square, we have an atrophied core, and that has led to mass depression, and mass emptiness, and mass So we have used unweight. it, so
0: we've lost it. Use it's it, there, it It's like a gym but thing. Well, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's highly no.
2: atrophied. It, it's time yeah. to start engaging, exactly. And if we do, it is there for us. A quarter inch under the surface, it's there for us but it's a choice to say yes and and go on that quest and ask those questions. What we see in the brain Mm. is that when we develop a spiritual response to suffering, we see that we've engaged this capacity, we've awakened, we've used our awakened brain, and there is literally cortical thickness the cortex is processing power across regions of perception and reflection the parietal, precuneus, occipital, we literally see into life with a more powerful brain. Whoa. Processing power. Now, what's remarkable is that those areas of strength, right, those like, thick like a forest, powerful regions of perception and reflection, are not thick, but thin, in people with recurrent major depression offering some evidence that sustained spiritual life is neuroprotective against recurrent depression. We published that in JAMA Psychiatry, Journal of the American Medical Association of Psychiatry. So that is a top shelf journal. It went blind to two scientists. It came back, you know, good findings. This is amazing. But we want to ask you a tougher question. What does a thick awakened brain today, you know, thick cortex across the regions of the awakened brain, what does that say about how we're doing a year from now? Mm -hmm. And we were able to prospectively show that a thick, strong awakened brain today is one year from now predictive of lower levels of suffering, lower levels of depression. That's very strong evidence that sustained spiritual life Mm -hmm. is neuroprotective against depression. So that doesn't mean that we don't suffer. That doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. It means that when that moment comes where the most unwanted knocks at our door, you know, I fear losing my money and it's gone. I fear infidelity and he's cheated on me. I fear that I'm not going to contribute and I get kicked out of school, you know, whatever that fear is and it happens, I can develop a spiritual response to loss and despair and trauma. What life are you asking of me now? What universe are you revealing to me now? Who do I need to be to love more radically? Who do I need to be to find what feels true to my purpose? You know, These big questions about our time on earth, this quest leads us to an inspired life. And that, I mean, your story is a beautiful story of a quest to a realized, inspired life. You're using your cortex. You have a thick cortex across <laughs> perception, reflection, and orientation regions. And and now when That's difficulty what? comes, there mm-hmm. is a, it becomes the new go-to way to be in the world. It becomes the go-to set point. And perhaps I think the most beautiful finding in science
1: mm-hmm.
2: is that when we cultivate a spiritual response to suffering there's not only a difference in the structure of our brain, but we use our brain differently. We're literally you know, tuning in to the world at a different frequency. And what that frequency is, is high amplitude alpha using EEG, which measures the wavelengths in and through our head, coming off mm-hmm. our head. We see that people who choose, it's a choice, a spiritual response, what existentially in, in, in ultimate sacred sense is happening now are vibrating high amplitude alpha. High amplitude alpha goes by another name in another field and it's Schumann's resonance. It is the wavelength of life on earth from the earth's crust up one mile all the way around the earth, no matter where on earth we may live, Schumann's resonance is the constituent wavelength of life from the earth's crust up one mile. It is nature, which means... Our spiritually engaged brain vibrates at once, at the same wavelength of all life. We return to nature, we return to our nature, we return to the oneness. The felt oneness is indeed mirrored by the oneness of wavelength. It is real. We are returning at the level of consciousness, spirit of sacred consciousness, we return to the oneness. So what is Eden? Eden is not a place long ago, Mm. far away. Eden is right here now. And we join and enter into Eden when we choose to be present into the deeper oneness of all life, with all living beings. We're back in the garden.
0: Wow. The opportunity for us to recognize that every, like when we do crack, and we crack open and I totally acknowledge for some people it's not this time here. Maybe you've lost a partner, maybe, you, you know, a car crash and, you know, you pivot your entire career from being a lawyer to a yoga teacher. God knows anything's possible, right? Um, but recognizing that that thickening of the, yeah, just the fact that our brain structure is completely changing with the installation of faith And how that then further inoculates us from further challenges that life may present and how much that was a necessary ingredient at that point to be installed to then further support
2: our journey. That's tremendously important because depression then is not lost time. It's not downtime. It is actually a developmental depression, which is on the way, not in the way. Yes. Yes. I call it the ignition so that we might inherit the next station of our lives.
0: Incredible. Incredible. Breaking down to break through. So the Beautiful. key question I'm going to have to ask for my benefit and the audience's benefit is we're at this breakdown point, potentially some of us don't believe. And so at that point, for those that don't believe, what, how, help? <laughs> <laughs> yes. what, are the, what, are the, what are the pointers? Any pointers along the way that we can get some, Yes, beautiful. Yeah.
2: And so That's in me. the Awakened Brain, I share some practices in the language of life that can be very yeah. helpful at breaking through. And in my class at Columbia, I, for 20 years, taught a class in spiritual awakening. And this is perhaps the practice that is I most cherish. Yeah. It was taught to me by the late Dr. Gary Weaver. And I'm wondering, could we share the practice <sighs> right here? Yes, please. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Good. Um, this is I. I share this with you, uh, passing it forward from the late Dr. Gary Weaver. I'm going to invite you to clear out your inner space. Take five breaths, if you wish. Perhaps even close your eyes, open up your inner chamber. I invite you to set before you a table. This is your table. And to your table, you may invite anyone living or deceased who truly has your best interest in mind. Anyone living or deceased who truly has your best interest in mind. And with them all sitting there, ask them if they love you. And now you may invite your higher self, the part of you that is so much more than anything you may have done or not done, anything you may have or not have, your true eternal higher self. And ask you if you love you. And now finally, you may invite your higher power, however you know, whatever word is yours, your higher power, and ask if they love you. And now with all of those people sitting there right now, what do they need to tell you now? What do they need to share? What do you need to know? When you're ready, I'll invite you back. Wow. This is your counsel and they are always there for you. Who shows up can change depending on where we are in our road and we can ask what's on our heart. But this is your awakened brain, this is your birthright and no one can ever take this away, this is yours. This is your awakened brain.
0: It's phenomenal how supported you can feel in less than three minutes.
2: And it's always there.
0: Energetically, there's a lot more integrity to your being on the other side of it.
2: Mm. It's you.
0: That's phenomenal. It's you. I think think we're going to have to... Snip that out as his own little exercise for people to do <laughs> on the other side of the episode um, for people to check into. So the opportunity to create, well, I've read the book, so I know there's plenty of exercises, and I will put a link to the book, um, The Awakened Brain, in the show notes below for everybody to Thank to you. tune into um, because there are other practices mentioned in the book as well. Um,
2: it's true. The wait, Can I put it up? The Awakened yeah. Brain? Yeah. The yeah. awakened brain. Is that uh, you see there? Yeah, good. <laughs> the yeah. So it's, it's, it's 20 years of science, my lab and fellow labs around the world. Mm. Um, everything's referenced. And in addition to, you, know, you can go on Google Scholar or Medline, pull up the references. Science can be very useful if you're trying to make institutional change. If you're trying to show the left side of your brain, there's enough proof that you can open up the right side of your brain. Mm. This is... This is one way of knowing and it's a way of knowing that at the moment makes a lot of change in the world. But I've also put into the awakened brain stories, um, my story but also stories of many other people who talk about their spiritual awakening as being kicked off by a developmental depression. And had it not been for the developmental depression without the developmental depression, the developmental depression was essential to the spiritual awakening that made them the men or women they are today.
0: That is huge. I often get asked what's one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned on this podcast, and externally as an entrepreneur, it's like consistency is king. Okay, got it. Ah. But internally, it's (laughs) that our biggest challenges are our biggest gifts, and it's and I'm hearing you say the exact same thing, but grounded all the way into decades of science through your work.
2: And we're built for it, to your point. That's how we're built. So we're not static. We're built to evolve. We're built to grow and that depression is a beckoning, is a knock at the door for this awakening, that when we say yes and we do this, and as we do this collectively now, suddenly we can be at a dinner party and not expect to be measured up, but really really someday hopefully expect to be looked at as a soul on earth and be loved, held, and guided.
0: Lisa, you mentioned a few times the word quest, and in the title of the book, it's the quest for an inspired life. Obviously, I'm biased, inspired evolution and inspired life. That's all I want. (laughs) Touch wood. What are you doing? (laughs) But but really, what does the word quest mean to you? Mm. What is quest and questing?
2: So in the awakened brain, I look at quest through the lens of science, and what I see is Mm. a balance between our awakened awareness, the capacity to look into the spiritual nature of life and – Are what I call achieving awareness to implement the instrumental side of us to get things done, to get from A to B. Mm. We need both. We need both achieving awareness and awakened awareness. We need both. And if I only have, achieving awareness. I can race off. I can get anywhere. And then I wonder why have I just taken the fast train to where, where am I? where did I just get off? <laughs> this station? You know, this is you know, the talking yeah. head song, this is not my beautiful life. Like, where, mm. where, where? am I? <laughs> um, yeah. But if I have only awakened awareness, then I may be on a deep journey, but I need to find a way to implement, to mm. turn my own inner experience into an outward contribution. So for instance, your podcast, right, is an outward contribution of a deep inner understanding. So awakened awareness and achieving awareness, when they go hand in hand, that means I can ask a question of my head, you know, what is my next move here? What do I want next? Do I want to marry this person? Do I want to be a parent? Do I want job A, B, or C? And of all the logical, you know, 15, 20 logical permutations, ping my heart knows what 's true, yes or no, my heart knows what 's true that 's asking a question of our head and getting an answer of our heart, asking a question that's logically driven, empirically driven, and getting a deep intuitive or mystical hit an awareness, a high pixel catch, and similarly, I could have a very transcendent mystical experience and over time discern its significance, discern what it means so When we pull into tandem our natural faculties for transcendent and mystical and intuitive knowing with empirical, logical discernment, we have balanced achieving an awakened awareness and we are on a quest. Life Mm. becomes a journey where, you know, what did life just show me now? Wow. My heart says, or the synchronicity reveals. So, Quest is a balance between awakened awareness and achieving awareness, and it's there for all of us. What quest does is turn our lives into a spiritual journey. It makes life a spiritual path. Quest makes life a spiritual path because every impasse has a spiritual significance that we discover. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is somehow time out from the goodness or the importance of our lives. Everything counts and everything is engaged, embraced, metabolized on the spiritual path. That's a quest.
0: I love the integration of achievement and awareness. Um, Yeah. And you mentioned the word synchronicity. And I have to say, I would love to get a further unpacking for just the audience into like, yeah, what your sentiments, what your thoughts on synchronicity are and what that really means maybe some people tuning in don't know what the word synchronicity means as we're questing because yeah i think it's it's a beautiful signpost right can you tell us a little bit more about synchronicity
2: so most of us can locate a moment in our life where we were thinking of someone who maybe we hadn't seen for 10 or 15 years we get home and that very day they're on the phone machine they've called or we have a question in our head and we're really puzzled by it and some guy gets on the bus and stands right next to us and answers (laughs) the very question that had been inside our mind so the synchronicity is when two events that are physically distinct reveal some deeper connection of meaning or put another way when two events that are mechanistically separate co-occur in a way that is far too unprobabilistic to have happened by chance. <laughs> and that is the universe revealing our guided path, showing us something. You know, in the in Awakened Brain, I share some that are sort of confirming what I had hoped and other synchronicities that showed me I was loved, held, and guided, but I was not going to get what I had thought I wanted. Because mm. what we think we want you know that's only based on yesterday's information. What I want, my goals, my aims—that's based on today back. That's all historical. Yeah. But what the universe, or my word is God, shows us to be our path—that's based on information that has yet to unpack before us. We could do one more practice. Should we do one more yeah. practice? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. This I love this practice. This is called the Road of Life. Okay. And it—it's it, one way of experiencing some of the synchronicities we've had. Mm -hmm. I'm going to invite you once again to close your eyes, clear out your inner space. Five breaths if you'd like. I invite you to think of a time where you had done everything right to get what you wanted. That red door was yours. It could have been him or her or them to say yes. It could have been a job, a promotion, an internship, a school admission, a place to live. A plus B plus C, you researched it. You tactically were on target. That red door is yours. You go for the handle, grab it, but it's it's stuck. And you can't believe it's stuck because you have done A plus B plus C but only because it's stuck. You, you might be angry, you might be depressed. You did not get what you wanted. You have no choice. You turn 30, 40, 100 degrees. But over there, over there is a wide open yellow door. A shining wide open yellow door. You might've said you didn't never heard of yellow doors. Yellow doors don't exist. On the other side of the yellow door is someone more right for you, is a job that makes you feel alive, is a community where you've never felt so at home. On the other side of the yellow door, you did not get what you wanted. You got something better and better for you. And as you think about that stuck red door and the hairpin turn that led you to the wide open yellow door that has so much to do with who you are and where you are today. Was there anyone there at the hairpin turn that gave you some information, helped you along? Uh, uh, Maybe a counselor, it could have been someone you met for two minutes at the coffee shop. It could have been a grandparent who for the first time shared a story. There was a trail angel at that hairpin turn pointing you to the wide open yellow door. And as you sit back now and you think about the stuck red door, the hairpin turn, the trail angel, and that wide open yellow door that has so much to do with who you are and where you are today, how really are the most important parts of our lives found? Is it narrowly through strategy and tactic? we do need those skills. But alone, achieving awareness is insufficient to find the most powerful parts of who we are and where we go. And is life less about being makers of our path and more about discoverers of our journey? And finally, as you now sit way, way back, stuck, red door, hairpin turn, trailing the wide open yellow door, where in your road of life is your higher power? who I call God, your force of life, is the higher power in the open yellow door and the stuck red door? Is your higher power in the trail angel and your openness to being in dialogue with that great force in us, through us, and around us? Is it possible that you already are on a spiritual path and that you already are engaging your awakened brain And when you're ready, I invite you back.
0: Slowing down feels like a necessary ingredient, Mm. especially in a fast-paced world take a I moment to right
2: by the yellow door. Yeah. Walk right <laughs> but yeah. life is good. And even, and even, the, even, the gu-
0: even the guardian and the angel that sort of is available to sort of maybe singing the, pinging a note for you to yeah. look the other well, way. And because it's, and it's not initial- what
2: we thought we wanted, it's not the red door. The trail angel can initially feel irritating. Like why is this guy sitting next to me yeah. and talking to me on the bus when in fact he's actually the trail angel. Yeah. Pointing to the yellow door.
0: Yeah. Incredible. I really love, really, really love that exercise. And it's it's really poetic and I love how the more you zoom out, eventually you end up connected to your higher power in there as well, um, mm. which I love that languaging of, of God and universe as higher power as well. I think it's very universally accepting. Mm. Um, You mentioned the word higher purpose a couple of times and I'm conscious of how much time we have left and I'm trying to squeeze in another question. (laughs) Good,
2: good, good, good. I'm here.
0: Higher purpose. How do you feel into higher purpose? Like is it a question? Is it a, yeah, for those that are potentially have heard you refer to it a few times in this episode and want to explore that concept further? Um, what would you weigh Markham towards?
2: Well, I think you're a very courageous audience. You're a very really faithful, soulful audience committed to finding higher purpose. Um, I I guess what I, well, I'll speak only in the first person. When I was starting out, I wanted to follow what I felt in my deep, Heart was the spiritual path. And that meant that as a scientist, I wanted to point the lens at the impact of spirituality in our lives, which meant there was no job to date for a spiritual psychologist. Um, people said, you'll never get funded. You know, you're going to, how are you, you going to have a career? Um, but I think when we follow what in our deep heart is true and, and it's more than just true for us, it is a truth mm-hmm. in an ultimate sense we follow a truth, Um, the road rises up to meet us. And things far too improbabilistic to have happened by chance open up. Yellow doors appear, trail angels appear. And we have the honor and the just deepest sacred joy of getting to be trail angels for fellow travelers. So I guess when you know you've hit a truth that in your heart is just an imperative, you know, I I didn't have a choice. If I, I would have felt like I had ditched on my own ultimate purpose. I kind of would even, well, I'll put it this way. I used to go to seminars on weekends. I was seeking, I was seeking. I'd go to seminars. I'd learn from different teachers. And one day At a spiritual seminar, a gentleman showed up who was a quite sort of magnificent-looking gentleman. I was in my late 20s. He was in his probably mid-60s, early 70s. It was a rainy day in New York, and he had a raincoat and an umbrella, and he said, come with me. I want to take you to lunch. And there was nothing inappropriate. He was sort of like a mentoring figure, and he walked me a block down the street, and we sat down to lunch, and he said, I want to tell you a story. And he went on to tell me about... A very long beautiful story from Greek mythology and then he leaned forward and said see do you get the picture there are moments in our lives where the window opens up and we must speak and we must speak the truth and we know it in our heart we know it in our being and if we don't speak the truth the window might close and it could be a thousand years before it can be spoken again and that's not true for some of us i think that's true for every single one of us we room. have a truth we have the truth in and through us. And when we speak the truth, we serve the truth. And when we speak the truth, we serve those around us. And if we don't speak the truth, and I've had those moments, the window's closed, and it'll never, that moment, will never be back. Lisa
0: i could talk to you forever
2: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: <laughs> i like i said oh the and i'm hoping that for those tuning in yeah like a link to the the book the awakened brain is in the show notes below please do go check it out um i cannot recommend it enough i said this to you before lisa Like every chapter I was just more and more like,
1: yes, yes,
0: yes. I absolutely love the work um, that you've been – yeah, it just feels like such a blessing um, to be able to read something so affirming, so constructive, so empowering and also so supportive and it's got tools that you can then infuse into your life as well, knowing why you're infusing them and it's just – it's revolutionary, and it's it's well, it inspires an evolution. So, I want to thank you for the book, but I also want to cannot not thank you for being here today. I think it'd be foolish of me to just thank you for your time. Thank you for the lifetimes of work, facing the naysayers, everything that you've put into everything that sort of amounts to us being able to stand on this conversation today. And um, ultimately, I think what I'm really thanking you for is being our trail guide for for so long as well so i just want to thank you for that
2: thank you and i thank you for speaking the truth every time you get on your podcast speaking the truth and giving others the freedom to do the same
0: on behalf of myself and the inspired evolution audience i just wishing you all the best on your journey forward thank you so much much love Inspired Evolution tribe and audience, you have made it all the way through to the end of another episode. Look at how inspired you are to evolve, remembering that the best is only yet to come, guys, give this video a thumbs up. I highly encourage you to check out Dr. Lisa Miller's book. If you can, please do so. And leave us a comment in the section below. Let us know what you got from this episode. Was it the tools and techniques that Lisa shared with you? Was it understanding actually the spirituality going behind the, mechan- like the mechanism of your brain and what's going on in there? What are your biggest takeaways from this episode? We'd love to hear from you. We listen, we read every comment and reply back to you right there that's us communicating back to you in the YouTube section below and on behalf of Lisa and myself it is our absolute honour being your brother your sister walking by your side
1: home yes
0: yes thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the inspired evolution without you the inspired evolution tribe this podcast would not be what it is today thank you so much for your love and your support Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal.